Welcome to the Pause to Remember podcast. My name is Amy Pelkey. I'm a practicing CRNA yoga teacher and mother to one son here on earth and one daughter who was stillborn. If you are a healthcare provider who has experienced pregnancy or infant loss, this podcast is for you. My goal is to offer resources, conversations, and mindfulness-based grief tools to help providers like you build the courage to acknowledge and process your emotions, the strength to carry your grief, and resilience so you can preserve your career, relationships, and overall well-being while honoring the memory of your baby. I want to assure you that you are not alone in your grief. I am thankful that you are here today. Let's begin. Hi, this is Amy. Thank you so much for joining me here today. I wanted to share a little bit about Pause to Remember and how it came to be. I think the best place to start is some background information about our journey to parenthood and losing our daughter, Anna Grace, in 2016. Like many couples, we found ourselves in a fertility clinic being told most likely the best way to conceive or the greatest chance of conceiving was through in vitro fertilization. My husband and I didn't feel like that that was the right choice for us at the time. And we decided to just see what would happen. And if we didn't become parents, we were accepting of that. So about a year later, I figured out I was pregnant and we had our son and like any new mom, I was a little overwhelmed with balancing work and breastfeeding and being up at night, but we made it through, but we weren't sure that we wanted to have another child. So after a couple of years, we decided that um, adding to our family would be an option and we started trying again. About two years later, I was turning 40 and I just said, you know, this is just getting to be a little too much. I'm ready to close this chapter. If, if it was meant to be, it would have happened by now. And that conversation, you know, had been started and we had pretty much agreed that we were done trying. And just about that point, I figured out I was pregnant. <laughs> so the pregnancy was great. I felt better than um, I did with my first pregnancy. Everything was going along normally. And I went to my 20-week ultrasound appointment. I was like 19, day, uh, 19 weeks in a couple days. Um, and my husband wasn't able to get out of the OR to come over to the building next door where I was having the ultrasound. It was just a really busy day at work and he wasn't able to get out of the OR. So I said, oh, it's no big deal. I'll bring you pictures when I'm done. It's fine. Um, And so I went to the appointment. And shortly after the ultrasound tech began her exam, I could tell that something was wrong and I just stopped watching. I literally turned my head and stopped watching. I couldn't bear the the feeling of trying to figure out, you know, what the images were and what I was looking at, knowing that something wasn't right. And she was really quiet. It was just kind of an, an eerie, quiet exam. I don't really know how to explain it. And when she was done, she said, you know, I'll, I'll let the radiologist know that I'm done and he'll be in to talk to you. I said, okay. And I must have waited a good 15 or 20 minutes and that just... Every minute that passed, I just knew in my heart something was wrong. He came in, he pulled over a chair, and he sat right 
next to me at eye level and he began to share with me what he had seen in the exam. And he shared that our daughter had a severe cystic hygroma and ascites and he wasn't sure about her heart. He went on to say that he had called my midwife between when the exam was completed and when he came in and she was aware of the findings and they were going to do everything that they could to get me in to see high risk OB as soon as possible. As you can imagine, I was pretty tearful and it was really hard news to hear alone. So I immediately went up to the OR, which is the next building over and um, the lead CRNA got my husband out of the OR and I just broke down sobbing and showed him the pictures and everything that was going on. There wasn't much more we could do just standing there outside the operating room. So I went home and just as I got into the car, my phone rang and it was my midwife. And I just broke down in tears. She said that she had called high risk OB, that they were gonna see me the next day. And she painted a pretty grim picture that most likely our daughter was not going to survive to the end of the pregnancy and that we were going to have a lot of choices presented to our presented to us including termination of the pregnancy and that was just not something that i was expecting because i loved our baby and the thought that that was even part of a conversation was really really hard to hear But looking back at it, I really commend her for being honest and open and literally laying down what all the options were gonna be moving forward given the severity of the findings in the ultrasound. So we shared the news with our family that night and went to the high-risk OB the next day. We were immediately offered lots of options including amniocentesis and whatnot and we've always been pretty shy to do anything invasive. Um, You know, it's kind of funny, we offer high-tech care in our everyday practice, but we're kind of low-tech consumers of care. So we opted just to start with some blood work, which they assured us would show um, genetic abnormalities just to begin with because they were pretty certain that she had Turner syndrome based on what they were seeing on ultrasound. So we agreed to that and it felt like it took forever for the blood work to come back. I think it was at least four or five days. And when they called, they said everything looked normal. There were no genetic abnormalities and they were completely at a loss for what to tell us. So I just said, okay, and I had already gone back to work. Work was a comfort to me. It was an opportunity to go and take my mind off everything that was going on. And I can remember just sitting in the OR with my hand on my belly in some of those moments that you know were a little quieter in the case and just kind of holding her. And that was about the only time I ever really thought about it. Otherwise, I was pretty focused on the patient because that just felt a lot easier And as time went on, I just felt like the fluttering movements were decreasing. And after a couple of weeks, um, I let OB know that I had stopped feeling her move and asked if I could have another ultrasound. And they said, of course, come on in. And my husband and I went in 
And within just a few minutes, the ultrasound tech said she couldn't find a heartbeat. It's the hardest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. And I just, just cried. And I don't even remember everything that happened after that in terms of who talked to us or anything. I just was so emotionally upset and couldn't focus on anything. And they gave us the option to go home and come back the next day to be induced, and that's what we chose to do, and that felt like the right thing. When we got home, we shared the news with our five-year-old, and he asked questions, and we answered them honestly and openly, which we had been honest with him from the moment we found out that Anna was sick throughout the couple of weeks that we were unsure what was going to happen, and we told him everything that was going on in words that he could understand. We shared the news with her family and her friends and prepared to go in the next day. When I got to the hospital the next day, our midwife was wonderful. She prepped us for what to expect, worst case scenarios, that sort of thing. And I asked for any kind of services that might be available to support us emotionally. And the pediatric palliative care team came, um, both the doctor and the nurse from that service, and sat with us shortly after the induction began and spent about an hour with us. And it was so helpful to have professionals who were trained to deal with people like us who had already started the grieving process and were pretty overwhelmed by a lot of really difficult information in a short amount of time. I was really grateful to them. Our coworkers were wonderful. Um, the chair of our department even came up and said, anything you need, you just let me know. Just call my cell phone if you need an epidural and nobody's available. Even if it's in the middle of the night, you can call me. Just things like that was just really heartfelt. We got to the point where we really just didn't want visitors and we asked for our privacy and that was respected as well. And that was appreciated. As the night went on, I had high fever, shaking, just a lot of side effects from the induction. And then I went from what felt like zero to a hundred in the matter of minutes the next morning. And I quickly asked for an epidural, popped my earphones in my ears and listened to a meditation. It was actually a Tara Brock meditation that I had on my phone. I can list that in the show notes. It was an, an very helpful bridge to keep me as calm as possible while I was waiting for that epidural. And man, was I thankful for that epidural. Not long after it went in, I started pushing and Anna arrived. And unfortunately, she did not come straight into my arms because I started to bleed. My placenta had fallen apart, just as our midwife had told us might happen. And so it took some time to get the placenta out, get the bleeding under control, and get cleaned up and whatnot. And once I was medically and emotionally ready, we called for Anna to come. And I remember, oh gosh, as we just looked at her and held her, she had the same little chin as our son, and the same blue eyes, and her little hand just felt so sweet. It was so small, I just held it between my thumb and my index finger. And to this day, I feel like I can still remember exactly what her hand felt between my fingers. And the thought of leaving her was one of the most challenging thoughts 
I didn't know how I was going to make it out of the hospital without her. Fortunately, the chaplain um, that was there that day came and did a little service. We were able to have my father, who was up in Maine, come join us uh, via conference call. My in-laws came and held her and, and met her. And we took pictures and just talked about her and talked about the things we had hoped when she came. Things as simple as I just had always thought I would French braid her hair and give her pigtails and watch her learn how to ski and try to keep up with her big brother. It was just hard to realize that those hopes and dreams had just vanished. Somehow we made it through the day. We were thankful that the hospital did not rush us out. And then my husband and I, hand in hand, walked out of the hospital without Anna. And it was really hard. I was really thankful for my six weeks of maternity leave. I was not prepared for my milk to come in and getting it to dry up just felt like torture. It was like insult to injury. It was like another emotional blow to feeling dark and down and sad and angry. And I was really thankful that I had started seeing a therapist that I'd seen after we had our son and I had some postpartum depression issues. And I had started seeing her immediately following um, her Anna's originally original diagnosis. And going to therapy helped me process all of these uncomfortable emotions. And she gave me tools to use to help unpackage them because the only way to grieve is to get through it. You never get over it, but to process those emotions. I like to say what, what you resist persists. So going and dealing with it early on definitely, I think, helps in the long run. One of the biggest things that I dealt with during maternity leave when I went to therapy was this overwhelming feeling of anxiety, almost like a panic attack about the thought of going back into the hospital. It was so hard to think about going back to where we lost Anna, and I was worried about breaking down in the OR, um, getting an assignment with a baby that was uncomfortable. And so my therapist helped provide some tools, helped me process some of these emotions, and got me ready to go back to work. Before I returned to work, I did email the entire department and I let them know exactly what had happened because as healthcare providers, you know, the curiosity of, oh my goodness, what happened, that sort of thing. I just didn't want to talk about it when I returned. So it was just easier to share the information via email. And I also asked people to not ask me about it when I was at work. To me, going back to work was a, a place to almost have a vacation from my grief. I could go in and take care of a patient, focus on them, and be present in that moment with the patient instead of having to deal with my grief. So I really didn't want to talk to talk about it at work. And I thought if anybody asked me, I might just cry. And people were so, so respectful of my wishes. The other thing I did was ask to avoid pediatric rooms. I had done quite a bit of peds prior to our loss, and I had no desire at that point to see a baby, take care of a baby, even talk about a baby. They were very respectful of my request. There were just a couple of times where the triggers at work became pretty overwhelming to me. 
the first time was a morning I walked into work and I was in an open urgent room and they had put a gastroschisis baby into my room and I just lost it. I just started sobbing and I ended up texting the pediatric palliative care doctor asking if he was on his way in um, while I missed morning conference. And he said, oh yeah, I, I can come in a little bit early and thank goodness. And he just came in and he said, where do you want to talk? And I said, let's go to the chapel. We went to the chapel and I just cried. I just sobbed. And I can't even tell you exactly what it was that was so upsetting to me. I think it was just the thought that this baby was sick. I knew what it was like to have, you know, to be a parent of a sick baby and how awful that felt. And it's a feeling that I don't wish on any parent in the world. And the thought that, you know, maybe something would happen and this baby wouldn't do okay and maybe the baby would die and, oh gosh, then the parents are going to grieve and... It was just, oh, all these thoughts that just spiraled me into these sobs. And I don't even remember what he said, but somehow he was able to just recenter me, help me pull myself together again. And I actually was able to go and work the rest of the day. Um, My coworker was so gracious about covering my OR for me while I was talking to the doctor and I, I, that was definitely a defining moment where I was like, okay, things are going to happen and I can handle this and I'm going to get through it. The other time was, um, I took over a trauma case. It was about three o'clock in the afternoon and I got report. And when I was going through the labs and whatnot, like I normally do when I take over a case, I saw that the HCG levels were really high and I was like, man, that's really weird. I know that the first CRNA gave Versed. I don't know why he would do that if she's pregnant. So I started looking through the ED notes and realized that she had just terminated her pregnancy right before the accident. And oh my gosh, I was just like, I just so desperately want my baby and this patient didn't want her baby. And I did my deep breathing. I just like, it was so overwhelming and it was so out of the blue and unexpected that I ended up having to call my coworker and I just said, I need to step out of the OR. And giving myself some physical space from the patient was very helpful. I was able to use some of the mindfulness techniques I had learned and some of the tools that I learned in therapy to kind of regroup and recognize that every woman and every family makes decisions about pregnancy and their babies for different reasons. And I would never understand this young mother's reason for terminating her pregnancy but it was my job as a professional to go in and take care of her. And I was able to kind of turn it around and have some empathy that this must have been a very difficult decision for her. And her decision to terminate her pregnancy had nothing to do with our loss. So I was able to regroup, go back in the OR and continue on. And to this day, I mean, it's been a little over five years. I still have triggers at work, but my response to them and my ability to acknowledge them and process them has definitely shifted and evolved over time. In addition to therapy, in terms of dealing with work and whatnot, and my grief, I found that meditation and yoga were really helpful. Being on my yoga mat felt like a safe space to just come and be present with my emotions. My meditation practice just helped me be in the moment and let go of the past loss and let go of the worries for tomorrow and just be present in the moment without judging how I was feeling. 
And to deepen my practice, I decided to um, go to the South Hills Power Yoga Yoga Teacher Training to get my 200-hour yoga certification. And I did it with the whole thought that I just wanted to enrich my own practice and learn more about how to use yoga for grieving. I met another woman there. Her name was Shauna Locke, and she was amazing. She had um, gone through the experience of loss as well and found that yoga was really an uh, important part of her journey through the grief. So we decided to put together a little workshop um, in the Pittsburgh area to try to share meditation and yoga with other grieving moms. And we called it Pause to Remember. And we got a little website and we went to different yoga studios and shared with them what we were trying to do and had these little workshops in brick and mortar, mortar yoga studios. And I remember one evening, this one woman at the end, thanked us for the workshop. She said, I have been having a headache for six weeks and I'm finally feeling some relief. And in that moment, I just knew that pause to remember was there to help others and that it was really important for me to continue this work. Unfortunately, sometimes life throws you some curveballs, and I got pretty overextended with being a mom and a wife working as a CRNA, teaching yoga, and then I took on another side anesthesia project that ended up taking way more of my time than I ever anticipated. And Shauna and I had not gotten as many participants coming to the workshops that we had hoped. We didn't have a marketing plan. We were struggling to get the word out. Pause to remember kind of got tabled for a little bit. Shauna ended up going off and doing some more work with yoga for cancer patients. And I just kind of got to a place of burnout. I was just trying to do too much. And I started working with a burnout coach. Her name is Dr. Erin Weissman. I realized it was time to regroup and take some things off my plate and pause to remember was not one of those things. I was really committed to it. And then shortly after that, the pandemic hit. So I decided, oh, this would be a good time to move Pause to Remember online. I talked to Shauna. She was okay with me just doing this on my own in the online format. And she was happy doing her work with the Yoga for Cancer patients. I started taking classes on how to build an online business with Tom Polifka. I learned how to build a website, share information via email, um, design a course that housed some of the mindfulness-based grief support tools that I had used and thought would be valuable to share with others. And I do not have a tech bone in my body. So everything that I learned was from the ground up and it all took me way longer than I ever anticipated. And in the midst of trying to move Pause to Remember to an online offering, the stress of work during a pandemic and homeschooling our son full time got to be more than I could handle. And by the fall of 2021, I had gone back to therapy because I was stressed out and miserable. Therapy was very helpful to process some of the things that had happened during the pandemic that were really challenging from a professional standpoint. And in October, I decided to hire a life coach and I started working with Krista Kehoe and she specializes in women like me who are trying to build an online business. 
and we really just kind of wipe the slate clean, I was able to more clearly define what it was I wanted to do. I want to support healthcare providers after pregnancy or infant loss. The pandemic has created so much stress and burnout within our medical community. And then if you add a pregnancy or infant loss on top of that, it's just like adding insult to injury. And now more than ever, I think we need to start the conversation that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to give yourself permission to slow down and exercise self-care. I will be the first person to raise my hand and admit that exercising self-care has been inconsistent at best. After having the loss of Anna, therapy, working with a life coach, going to yoga teacher training, taking a mindfulness-based stress reduction course a couple times, I, I'm at a place where I'm ready to be of support to others who are going through this. So my hope is pause to remember.org, the website, will be a place for you to download an ebook that I wrote that is all about um, losing a baby and it starts with what to pack when you go to the hospital, what do you do after the baby is born, cremation versus burial, um, maternity leave, FMLA, when your milk comes in, going to therapy, finding a therapist, should you have a therapist or a life coach or a grief coach or a grief Sherpa, depending on who you talk to. I guess what I'm trying to say is there's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of different avenues for support and I would like to organize the support options specifically for healthcare providers here at Pause to Remember. And I also feel like it would have been really helpful to me if I was able to listen to a podcast and hear another nurse or doctor or PA talk about their experiencing experience losing a baby and then going back to work. So if you are a healthcare provider who has experienced pregnancy or infant loss, and you would like to share your journey and take a moment to honor the life of your precious baby, I would be more than happy to share a conversation with you on this podcast for others to listen to. The easiest way to get a hold of me is via email, amy at pausetoremember.org. So to wrap this up, if you are a healthcare provider who is grieving, I want you to know that you are not alone. There are resources, it's okay to ask for help, and hopefully pausetoremember.org will be a source of information for you. If you would like to support the work at Pause to Remember, I invite you to follow this podcast and leave a rating in the Apple Podcast app. If you'd like to share the website on your social media or even this podcast, that would be very helpful as well. Don't hesitate to let your coworker that may be grieving know that resources are there like the ebook and there'll be more resources added over time, both on this podcast and on the website. For those of you who are not grieving healthcare providers, but curious about what the ebook is like or any of the resources I'm offering, you are more than welcome to click one of the green buttons on the homepage of the website pausedremember.org and subscribe to the email list. To those of you who are still here after nearly 30 minutes, thank you for joining me on this first podcast. To those of you who are grieving, 
May you have moments of peace in the midst of your grief. May you have the courage and the strength to process and carry the weight of your grief. And may you feel love and support from those around you. Namaste. Thank you.